to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, good morning. Keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll continue looking at Ephesians, our year-long study, by looking at the Spirit-filled life. Get this, a 12-year-old Taiwanese boy, 12-year-old Taiwanese boy, art exhibit 2015. He's in there with mom and dad. He moves in, deftly, not so deftly, navigates among the higher-priced pieces of artwork. When he falls, he trips. Good news is the little boy's okay because he broke his fall on a $1.5 million painting. Yeah. Here's the words that every father needs to hear. Insurance is going to pay for this. That's the words. But I imagine that little 12-year-old boy got a, got a good talking to about how to be careful in places such as that. But he's not alone. Because I discovered that a 42-year-old man in 2006 in Cambridge, England, trips over his shoelaces and shatters three Chinese vases worth 130000 but the 42-year-old man's not alone, nor is a 12-year-old, because I discovered that Steve Wynn actually put his elbow through a $155 million Picasso painting. The good news is for Steve Wynn, he's a billionaire, and he bought all the Picasso paintings and had them restored. I don't want to go to an art museum ever again, <laughs> but of all the am- items that could be damaged, nothing, nothing close to what we've talked about is the most valuable or the most precious. Today I want to talk to you about what the Bible calls speaking to Christians about being alert. In fact, I've titled this message, Wake Up. And by looking at something that's so valuable, so precious, Ephesians chapter 5, let me just give you a big picture. We're moving through this book sort of inch by inch, maybe some might say millimeter by millimeter. And when you do that, you tend to lose the bigger picture. So let's just look at the bigger picture for just a moment. For those of you who are worshiping with us online at home, Ephesians 1, first half, Ephesians second half. Half number one, chapters one through three. They detail our position in Christ. This is how we come to faith in Christ. This is how we relate to him. Like the Oklahoma Sooners yesterday, you won by grace, right? (laughs) You did not deserve that win. I watched that one. That was by the grace of West Virginia. And your position in Jesus Christ is also by grace. You cannot pop your suspenders. You are not morally superior. You receive the Lord Jesus Christ by the grace of God. That's the first half, chapters 1 through 3. Chapters 4 through 6 is your position in Christ. This is after you've come to know Christ. This is the instruction manual. Here's how you're supposed to live. So beginning in Ephesians chapter 5, I want to talk about our position in Christ. Notice in verse 14, the Bible says these words, Awake, O sleeper. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, in a moment, we'll talk about who is the one who's sleeping, but Paul wants you to raise your spiritual DEFCON, your spiritual DEFCON meter. Now, if you're like me, I didn't know there was a DEFCON meter until I wore, watched the war games back in the 80s with Matthew Broderick. And I found out, evidently, there's this DEFCON system. 
Our military defense system has a DEFCON meter, and I discovered that DEFCON 5, we're at peace. We're relaxed. We have no enemies. DEFCON 1, nuclear proliferation. The challenge for us in the church, and I believe this, I'm not just saying it, is that we are probably right around 3, 4, and 5 when Paul in the Bible wants us to move up a step, that we're spiritual apathetic. We've got our mind on politics. We've got our mind on what's going on the week or how am I going to get through COVID, all the following. And Paul just quite simply says in verse 14, wake up, wake up. And every now and then you need one of those. I'm thinking about my coach in high school, Dennis Ray Snyder. His boy was on the team. We shared some secrets with his son that later found out that made back to his father. And we played poorly. And at halftime, he found a, about a half a masonry brick that he threw, not at anybody, but he threw it to get our attention. We played better in the second half. We just played better in the second half. And so every so often, the Bible says, wake up. And here is a call from the Bible. And Paul, raise your spiritual readiness. Raise your alert. You need to be in a state of spiritual, not apathy and indifference, but a state of readiness. And so we're navigating through the museum of life, and we happenstance brace ourselves on a $1.5 million painting, and something valuable is hurting. Now, who's he speaking to? Who's, who's supposed to wake up? To find that, go back with me to verse 8 in Ephesians 5. In verse 8, we see these words, For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light. For one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So here's the call. The call is not to those in the honky-tonks and the bars. The call is not to those in apartment complexes and condos and homes today to wake up. The call is to those who call themselves light. He's speaking to those who were blind and now see, to those who were deaf and now hear, and to those who were in darkness but now are in light. This is a message from Jesus Christ to his people who call him by name. So we need to be looking at this and saying, this, this is for me. This is for me. Would you say that with me? This is for me. This isn't for the Democrats. This isn't for the Republicans. This isn't for my spouse. This isn't for my children. This isn't for those ne'er-do-wells that I work with. He's talking to me. He's talking to me, and he wants me to wake up. Awake, O sleeper, from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Now, why am I supposed to be ready? What's the threat? What's the alert? Well, it's easy to see in verse 6. Look what he says. Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you with empty words. I remember it vividly. My boys and I, we had come in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I had lived outside the state at the time. And I wanted to take them to the Sixth Floor Museum. I wanted to show them the whole JFK thing and the Oswald and the whole piece down in Dallas. Of course, our town at the time might have had 15,000 people. So I was supposed to park in downtown Dallas. It was one of those pay things where you put the money in, you don't see anybody. Only out of nowhere came this guy who said, I'll take that and like a parking lot attendant. Later on, I realized I was a rube. I had been deceived. That he didn't own that parking lot. He didn't manage that parking lot. He wasn't an employee of that parking lot. He just found somebody with out-of-state plates 
and took $20 and I never paid for parking. I was deceived. And I was embarrassed because I was so stupid. And I was embarrassed because probably it was in front of my boys. And the truth is we can all be deceived, can we not? We can all be deceived in this day of internet stuff that's going on and all the things that happen. And the Bible's saying to you as a believer, you can be deceived and you can be deceived by empty words. You see that in verse six? You can be deceived by empty words. For because of these things, and note those next four words, I'm gonna ask you to read them together with me. For because of these things, the wrath of God. So he's serious. He's not, he's not playing around. This is serious stuff. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So again, how am I to be deceived? Well, we need to look here at the text because the text is helping us do something. Because the deception that so often comes, all of us can be deceived, is that we would embrace a behavior that's more like darkness rather than light. That's the metaphor. And the binary here, for those of you who are computer programmers, this is zeros and ones. There's not a third option. This is zeros and ones. This is binary. This is light and darkness. So he's saying here, those of you who've embraced light, don't go back to practice darkness. Don't send the confusing signal out to the outside of the church that here I am one who has embraced the light, but I can live like you. I can practice the kind of things that you're doing. Because the truth is, you don't have to go long in the Christian life when you're trying to do right, you're trying to live honest, you're trying to live clean, and you look around you and you say, there's other people that are successful, other people are happy, they've got a lot of money, got a lot of success, and they're not doing right. And my Bible says they're not doing right, and I don't see lightning bolts coming out of heaven to get them. You ever th thought that? I don't see a fist coming out of the clouds above to pulverize them. I don't see anything that they're doing that doesn't seem as if God is upset with them. In fact, the psalmist in one translation says, the wicked man is so arrogant. How is he arrogant? Because he always thinks, God won't hold me accountable. The wicked are arrogant because they think that God will not hold them accountable. And the truth is, you don't have to go long in life trying to walk by the light when you realize to yourself, I could probably practice darkness and get away with it. And so we're tempted to do that. We're tempted to switch teams or we're tempted to play both ends against the middle. And so we're tempted to, on an occasional Sunday, show up and then live as if we're going to hell Monday through Saturday all the while we're claiming to go to heaven. I'm reminded here of a verse I memorized as a young man, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It'll appear on the screens for you. I apologize I didn't memorize it in the version we have it. I memorized it in the SMV, Scott May's version. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. What we need to be aware of here is just like physical laws, there are spiritual laws. Physical laws, spiritual laws. And physical laws are fixed. Spiritual laws are fixed. Physical laws, gravity, 9.8 meters per second squared, keeping you in that seat, keeping us on terra firma here on earth. And if I were to walk off a 10-story building, I would not break the law of gravity. I would demonstrate the law of gravity, right? 
And so physical laws are fixed. Just like physical laws are fixed, spiritual laws are fixed. Spiritual laws are fixed. The one who made the earth with its fixed rotation of the earth's tilt and all the following of science, would he not equally make spiritual laws? And here's the spiritual law. Galatians 6, 7 teaches us. For every kick, there's a kick back. And we cannot sow our wild oats Monday through Saturday and then expect to show up on Sunday and pray for crop failure. It don't work that way. It will not work that way. So the Bible here is calling upon us who say we embrace the light to practice the light, to get away from the evil practices. In fact, what are those evil practices? If you move back into verse 7, he commands us. He said, do not be partners with them. Now, who's the them in verse 7? He says, do not be partners with them. Who's the them? For the them, you go back into verses 3 and 4, where the text says the following. It names six evil vices, six evil actions, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. Then in verse 4, no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. The Bible here, in verse 6 and verse 7, calls upon us to, look, do not become partners with them. And who's the them? It's those six people who act sexually immoral, people who act trashy. That's the word impurity. People who act as if they're greedy for someone else's body. The greed there in verse 3 is a sexual greediness. It's likely not a capitalistic greediness, money, but a sexual greediness. And then it comes back in verse 4 and calls upon us, don't be around people who are speaking foolishly, talking crudely, or talking trashly. If you see people like that, you need to find the exit sign. You do not need to be partners with them. Those are practices of the enemy. They are deceptive practices. And if you do that, here's the issue. It's not that God's going to pulverize immediately. You'll find yourself after a few months, after a few years, talking that way and acting that way. And you've built your life on a house of cards. You don't want any part of that. Any part of that. And the Bible says, come away from them. Get away from them. Do not be partners with them. It's a powerful word. Now think about that for just a moment. Why do I do that? Well, the Bible warns you like a good doctor, like a doctor would tell you, here, take this prescription after you eat. And if you take the prescription before you eat and upset your stomach and you do things and you're embarrassed because you're at work, you will say, I should listen to the doctor, right? The Bible's a good doctor, and the Bible's giving you, here's a positive reason. Why should I not partner with those people who are doing those six things? First, in verse 1, you are a child of God. The Bible says in verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. I want to make everyone aware, I want every teenager to be aware, verse 1 does not say, in order to be a child of God, imitate God. Every world religion will be that. Every world religion will say, if you want God to like you, you've got to imitate God. And the Bible says, there is no way you have the ability to imitate God unless God is inside you, changing you. So here's the first reason you have to partner with them. You are an adopted child of God. He cares for you. He loves you. It's as if God is telling a child that's going out of the house, you've got my last name. You've got a proud name. You don't need to sully this name. And so here it is. First, 
Don't partner with the practices of evil. Why? Because you've got this father, and this father, he is telling you to have no partnership. Here's a negative reason, and you'll find in verse 11. It's a command here. Take no part, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Here's the negative. The positive, I'm a child of God if I've embraced Jesus Christ by the cross of Jesus and had the blood of Christ applied over my sins as we sung about a moment ago. But now here's the negative. I'm to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead I am to expose them. Now hear carefully, here's the Bible's teaching. If you call yourself a child of God, don't practice these things. You're not practicing them to be a child of God. You are a child because you've received Jesus Christ as your father. Now that you've received him, this is your practice. And your practice is to avoid at least these six and some not some more. But at least these six the Bible's speaking of here. Again, impurity, trashiness, crude talk, foolish talk, sexual immorality. Why? Because you are now a part of your father and you have light. Your father is light. The father above is light. What does it mean to have light? What is a metaphor light? Light, first and foremost, is truth. Light, secondly, is not only just truth, but it is moral clarity, moral purity. Tracy and I, we've owned several homes through the years. And one of the things I, I want to do first when I get a home is I want to go in, especially now with LED lights, and I just want to put like LED lights in every room so that I can see. I just want to put them almost in every room because it seems as if you're a house builder, may the Lord bless you. You put just enough light to pass somebody's inspection code, but I can't see anything in that room. So come in, fill that thing up with light because, you know, when you walk out of the house and you think you've got navy on and you get in the sunlight and it's black or got dog hair, all that kind of stuff, I want to see, right? I want to see. I want to see. I want good headlights on my old Chevy that I'm driving. I want to see what's out in front of me. And the Bible says, if you're a child of God, you've got light inside you. You're taking on the characteristics of your father. And light exposes. Light is truth. Light is clarity. It's moral purity. Is that true of you? Is that the honest God truth of you? And then he says in verse 12 and verse 13, because you have light, the shameful, it's shameful to even speak about the things that some are doing. University of Kentucky, this just came to me in the first service. I had some good friends of mine, Travis, Chris, Matt. All of us grew up in the same little Baptist church there in the small town of Kentucky. And we were, I guess, gathering up some guys on the dorm uh, there to go out and eat. And so we walk in this one guy's, one guy's dorm room, doors open, and there's a video playing of some of those explicit pornography I can ever recall seeing. And he just had it playing like I'd have the ball game playing. And I knew better to really look. I got enough of it out of the corner of my eye. And then I just turned with it over to my side, talking to him, looking at him. But I, I didn't do what my buddy Travis did. Travis was a valedictorian, smart kid, good kid. And he said, he just started to get up. He said, I, I can't do this. That's got to go or I've got to go. And I remember thinking, Scott, why didn't you do that? See what the text says? It says exposed by the light. Now that's an extreme piece there. 
You don't have to go around this world saying, thou shall not, and thou shall this. You don't have to be holy roller. But there's a way you can do it. Let me give you a phrase. Let me give you a phrase. Next time you're engaged with someone and potentially, here's a phrase. It's a really difficult phrase to pick up on. You ready for this? That's not right. That's not right. Here's another one. I'm just not comfortable with that. We, I know this world does not want holy rollers coming in judging everybody, but I'm just not comfortable with that. Um, can, we, can we go a different direction? Can we rethink this? You can be emotionally sensitive as well as morally clear. And the Bible here is calling on you to do just that. I loved what Travis did in that dorm room. He just quite simply said, I've got to get out of here. But the problem is many of us, we're living as if there's no kickbacks, as if God just relaxes all this. And what we need to be aware of here is there's a moral clarity. The Spirit of God comes into our lives, and the Spirit of God takes over us. Now, carefully look at this. As a believer, the Spirit of God is inside you. If you've truly come to faith in Jesus Christ, then the Spirit of God is in you, and you are a believer. He's taken possession. And the Bible says back in Ephesians 4.30, where this series began, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So there's activities and actions that you can take the Holy Spirit into that the Holy Spirit will not leave your life, but he will exit, and there's no more presence, there's no more blessing. Samson is a great example of that in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, do not bring the Holy Spirit in partnership with a prostitute. That's a paraphrase. And so at the beginning of that level, if you grieve the Holy Spirit, he will exit your life. I didn't say it. He will exit your life. He will exit your family. He will exit your church. And you won't have the spiritual success that you might have had he been there. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. You need that favor. You need that blessing. You need him working on your behalf. So he's paying attention to honesty. He's paying attention to the things you're seeing and the things that you're saying. All that matters. And you need his presence there. Could it be that the lack of spiritual success in your family has to do with something that you're doing over here that nobody else knows about between you and God? Could it be that the lack of spiritual success in your Bible study or your church has to do with the lack of the presence of God there? The Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something as pastors. I watch these times. If I could, if I could say the most, the most common thing I see among Christians is apathy, spiritual apathy. Getting Christians to do the right thing is so difficult. Now, you're politically motivated, and that's fine. I've got my opinions of politics like you do. You didn't come here for mine, and I didn't come here for yours. But I'm talking about spiritual, on point, spiritual passion. Take this evangelism piece we're trying to do as a church. Honestly, I feel like our church, and I love our church, is just shrugging. We're just shrugging. I feel like the American church is just shrugging. I find that in my own life so much. I'm just shrugging. I'm apathetic. I don't have the passion I need to be. But Jesus calls me to be light to this world. He tells me to be salt of this world. Those are metaphors. A city set on a hill. 
Salt, what did salt do before refrigeration? It preserved the meat. Jesus uses these two analogies to speak to us about going in the world. Now, nowhere does the Bible say, when I say don't be a partner, does the Bible say pull out. Nowhere does the Bible call upon us to build monasteries for Jesus and get out of here, to get out in a place where we cannot be infiltrated with this stuff. No, the Bible says you're to be in the world but not of the world. In fact, Paul would write one church in Corinth. He would say, when I wrote to you, I told you not to have anything to do with sexually immoral people. That comes back up. He just, he repeats that over and over again. The Bible just all over that. But he didn't say I meant the sexually immoral outside the church. He means the sexually immoral who claim Jesus to be light while embracing darkness. That's where the Bible does a D.K. Matumbo. Uh-uh. That, that doesn't work. Some of you don't even know who D.K. Matumbo is. Google that later on. What's wrong with you people? Now, this is where the Bible calls upon us. We're to separate. We say, I can't do that. That's not right. I'm setting a practice. My kids are watching me. My church is watching me. My friends, those people I'm sharing the gospel with are watching me. And so I have to have the presence of God. I need the presence of God in my life. We don't need monasteries. Jesus said these words in praying to the Father in John 17, 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. So there we are in the midst of the Las Vegas, in the midst of the Mardi Gras, in the midst of the Dallas-Fort Worth, and all that's happening, and yet we're clean. We're clean. We're confessing it to the Lord. So let me just sort of wrap this piece up here and just kind of bring this home. Let me ask you some questions today. I'd say the lion's share of this room is claiming to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Question, have you really turned from darkness to light? Are you not a new creature in Christ Jesus? Hasn't the Holy Spirit entered your life? Or is all that just a lie? Are you not born again by the cross of Jesus Christ? Are you not one of those who will be coming back with Jesus Christ in the resurrection, the second coming? Will you not be among those who are called in Revelation, the armies of heaven, following him on a white steed? If you've been made alive by the blood of Jesus Christ, then how can you live around dead people and enjoy it? Is all this a farce or a fraud, or is this real? How can you be a joint heir with Jesus Christ and sit alongside and be entertained by the sexually immoral, the impure, and sing the songs of all that goes on, of honky-tonks or Netflix, or all that's happening there. Are you not an heir of glory? Then why are you sitting yourself with hell's box office entertaining yourself in that direction? Is this real? Is this true? Is this something that's important? I mean, you're claiming that one day you're going to have an inheritance and walk the same streets as prophets and martyrs and apostles. If that's true, how can you sit comfortably in dens of iniquity at this point? You've got to be a partner with good or a partner with evil. And if you can't say amen, you might as well say ouch. Did you hear about the lion and the tiger? A lion met a tiger as a drink beside the pool, said the tiger to the lion, why do you roar like a fool? That's not foolish, said the lion. With a twinkle in his eyes, they call me king of all beasts because I advertise. 
A rabbit heard them talking and ran home like a streak. He thought he'd try the lion's trick, but his roar was just a squeak. A fox heard the rabbit who had dinner in the woods. What's the moral to the story? When you advertise, my friends, be sure you have the goods. Too many Christians, Ephesians is telling us, have more in the show house than they do in the warehouse. Where are you? Let's pray. God, you've called us to light up the darkness. And too many of us have failed you. And Lord, I just pray that your voice would come upon us at this moment and tell us, not that it's all right, but it can be forgiven. If your presence runs from us when we engage in darkness, then your spirit rushes immediately back in when we confess our sin. The truth is, a lot of us need to come to Jesus meeting, Lord. And we need to hear the words of 1 John over again. If we confess our sin, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. If you're here this morning and the Spirit of God has taken a yellow highlighter as bright as anything and can just highlighting the things that you're engaged in, the dishonesty, the things on your computer screen, the activity, the flirting, the dishonesty, the trashiness, the confess that to the Lord. If the God of heaven has got his finger in your business and he's saying that right there, then tell the Lord, I repent. Keep me from doing that. Make me as sick over this as you are. Lord, put your grip on us today. There are numerous people in this place today who need to know of your great love, who need to know that you died for them and loved them and have their lives revolutionized. Oh, Father, come into our presence today. How we need you and how we need to hear those little words from that little girl. We're to admit that we're a sinner. We're to believe in the cross and the Jesus who died on it and to confess and commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.